Hey friends, I want to welcome you to this, uh, this time together, our uh, Sunday message from wherever you're tuning in, whatever time, I want to welcome you. My name is Herrick. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors alongside Tom, Tom of Restored Church. And uh, today we're going to continue in a series that we've called Jesus Is. We're walking through the Gospel of John. Uh, and we are getting into the later chapters now, which is exciting. And so I'm going to finish out chapter 16 today. Today is actually going to be sort of like a part two to last week's message. So if you haven't had a chance to hear that one, I want to encourage you to check that out when you have some time. Um, last week, if you haven't listened to it, I used a, a picture, a story as a picture of the life of a disciple. It talks about Florence Chadwick, a woman who back in the 1950s uh, set out to swim across from the Pacific coast over to Catalina Island, so here in Southern California. She swam for 15 hours and this fog swept over that created, uh, she lost kind of her sense of direction, she got confused and she lost her confidence. She swam for an extra hour and then she eventually called for a boat to, um, to take her because she, she couldn't make it. And then later she realized it was just one more hour and she would have made it all the way across a 26 mile swim, pretty amazing. So we talked, talked through that as kind of a, a picture of the fog and the confusion that we're experiencing right now as disciples, disciples who are going through a journey, this life can be called a journey, and we're experiencing fog and confusion. So we used that last week. And here's what I want to do this week. I want to look at it. I want to kind of revisit that, but look at another aspect of that story that we didn't really um, talk about very much, which is this. Florence Chadwick, as she was trying to swim across the Pacific Ocean to Catalina, she had boats next to her. And those boats were there in case she got a cramp and, you know, she got tired or whatever. But it was also there because they were looking out for sharks. There were sharks in the water. And so not only was she dealing with fog and confusion, but she was dealing with fear as well. And so uh, I want to pray. And we're going to go ahead and dive into to these things. We're going to talk about fear today. Father, I want to thank you uh, for your word. I want to thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you for this text that we're going to read today. Thank you for the words of Jesus which have been written down for us to strengthen us, disciples, 2,000 years later, after he walked the earth, after he was speaking to his own disciples, we get to hear his words in a fresh way. And so I simply ask, Father, would you pour out your spirit? Would you help us to receive what you want to say to us through the words of Jesus, through the preaching of this text. And would you help me to simply say what you've given me to say and move out of the way so that we can see Jesus, enjoy him, worship him, and give more and more of ourselves to him because he is worthy and he is good. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's talk about sharks. <laughs> I, uh, I spent some time like, kind of reading about them. I think they're amazing creatures. They're powerful. They're majestic. Uh, other than seeing, I got to see a T-Rex, uh, the fossil T-Rex, and in New York City when we went and visited there a couple years ago, I think the most awe-inspiring thing I've ever seen in person is like the shark encounter at, uh, at SeaWorld, just seeing those sharks swim overhead. Majestic, powerful creatures. And as I was prepping for this message, I read the story of a 13-year-old girl who was surfing uh, off of the coast of Tasmania, so down um, south of Australia. She was surfing with her cousin. It was a beautiful day out. And she tells the story. She said that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she felt something kind of grab hold of her leg. And it actually didn't hurt at first. She like took a few seconds before she realized what was happening. But before she knew it, she was up in the air. And then she got pulled down under the water. And she <laughs> finally realized, oh, no. There's a shark, a 16-foot 
great white shark. So think like a tall Christmas tree, multiply it by two. That's how long this shark was, was biting on her leg. And uh, her cousin who she was swimming, she was surfing with, came over and started punching the shark and kicking it. And so eventually the shark let go. And, and she, this 13-year-old girl was able to swim up to the surface. Um, but then before she realized what happened, she got pulled down again. The shark actually grabbed, bit the board and pulled her down because she was attached to it. And eventually the, the shark bit so hard that it bit through the board and she was able to swim back up. Her cousin grabbed her and then they had to catch the next wave to get out of there, which they did. But as they were you know, surfing this wave, they could see the shark right behind. So just this wild story. And they get to shore, they get out uh, of, of harm's way, and there's a doctor and a nurse that just happen to be there. And they're able to perform life-giving, life-saving uh, emergency uh, help for her medical assistance while an ambulance actually came and showed up. And so this, this girl, uh, this poor girl, she understandably, like she, she's lost her passion for the water. And these are her words. She said, um, after the attack in the ocean, she said that she'd be fine in the water and then she'd get this weird feeling and then she'd start looking around and she explains it. And she said, I never had that before. I was a water baby and I loved the water. Now I'm scared of it. And so she said that for those who fear sharks without having had such a close encounter with a shark, she has a sound piece of advice. She says this, if you are frightened, you can always stay out of the water. The, the fear of sharks is real. Uh, sometimes, like the story tells us, sometimes people do get bitten. Um, so the possibility of an attack, it puts us on high alert when we're in the water. And at times, it, like she kind of mentioned, we can just be tempted to stay out of the water uh, to avoid it, actually. And, and why do I bring this up again? The picture of, of fog and confusion, of discipleship as a journey. Uh, why do I bring this up? It really does feel like we're talking about fear today, and it feels like navigating our way through today's culture as disciples of Jesus feels like we're kind of swimming through shark-infested waters. Uh, there's, there's deep fear all around us, and if we're honest, if we have self-awareness, we'll probably find that there's a lot of deep fear within us. Here's just a few of the options. I've just took a few minutes to think about this, and here's what I came up with. This is all just kind of fears of the day, if you will. Here we go. Right now, we are experiencing, many people are experiencing a fear of censorship, a fear of socialism, a fear of losing freedoms, a fear of losing touch with reality, with the narratives that are out in the culture. There's fear of racialized violence. There's fear of COVID. There's fears of religious liberties being taken away. There's fears of gender being redefined. There's fears of babies being killed. There's fears of children being abducted. There's fears of atmospheric rivers bringing mudslides, floods, and debris flows, as we saw last week uh, in California. I mean, the media, it doesn't matter on what side you're talking about. It, they never stop giving us things to be afraid of. Fear really does sell. And, and, and here's the thing, though. It's not just like the fears of what's going on out there in the culture. Uh, if we're honest, there's also quite a lot of fear within us at this point in our households. Uh, some of us are walking on eggshells in our households, never quite sure when the next relational blow up's gonna happen. Uh, some of us, our marriages have gone through so much and it's so fragile that we're, we don't even know if we're gonna make it. So others of us are experiencing job insecurity or financial insecurity. Many of us are worried about the toll that COVID has taken on our youth. 
uh, over the last year. Um, uh, some of us are struggling with how this terribly difficult moment that we're all living in has brought out the worst in us at times. And if we're honest, we're sometimes we're just dealing with such significant struggles with so much guilt and shame. We don't even know what to do with it. We don't even know where to turn. So I want to ask you the question, how about you? What's got you scared today? What or who are you afraid of? What I just described, these are the waters that we're swimming in as disciples. And the temptation is going to be for us to call a boat and get out. Now here's the thing. We're disciples, if you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're not, by the way, if you don't consider yourself one, welcome. So glad that you're tuning in. Uh, feel free to, to hang with us and learn as much as you can about what it means to follow Jesus. You are welcome, and I'm really glad that you're here. For those of you that are disciples of Jesus who are following him, uh, we have a mission in this world as the church. It's the same mission that Jesus' early disciples, the one he's going to talk to today in this text that we're going to read, it's the same one that they had, which is to grow as and make disciples. So we're commissioned to be God's people in the world who enjoy Jesus. This is our definition of discipleship. Just as a reminder, disciples are people who enjoy Jesus, obey him, and operate like him in every area of life. Okay, that's the race that we're in. And the finish line is, is it's seeing Jesus and receiving his commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, we're going to be tempted at times to get out of the water because things are too hard, kind of like what we talked about last week. But today we're going to talk about how we're also going to be tempted to get out of the water because things get too scary and we could get bitten. Bit, bitten, not sure. Or we could even bite someone else potentially and come to regret it later. So last week, fogging confusion that hangs over us in this season. Today we're going to look at Jesus's words to disciples who were afraid and how he helped them stay in the water and navigate through some pretty treacherous circumstances that they found themselves in. So we're going to talk about how his teaching to them can help us today. So we're going to turn over to John chapter 16, verses 22 to 33. John 16, 23 to 33. They'll be right here on your screen. And so quick context, we're in the thick of Jesus's farewell address to his disciples. We're several chapters in. This is sort of like a commencement speech to inspire, to strengthen, to encourage his disciples for the next chapter of their lives because Jesus, he's going to be gone. He's going to go away like he's told them. So this is the, this is kind of the last moment they have him in the flesh at this point in the story. He'll be back. Um, but this chapter is going to close before the next one begins. So Jesus has kind of saved his best material for now. So this is the stuff he wants his disciples to take with them for life. So we get to eavesdrop on this conversation. So let's go. Verse 23, John 16. In that day, Jesus talking to his disciples, in that day you will ask me nothing. Sorry, let me start over. Verse 23. In that day you will not ask me anything. Okay, this is after Jesus has been killed, raised from the dead, enthroned as king. That's what he's talking about. He says, truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Verse 25, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. On that day, you will ask in my name. And I am not telling you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself 
loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Verse 29, his disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and you don't need anybody to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Verse 31, Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Indeed, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. There's so much here. This could be a series of messages, but I have to try to focus. So here's the main idea. If you're taking notes, this is the big idea that we're going to unpack with the rest of the time that we have today. Big idea is this. Christ has conquered the world. So we don't need to be afraid of the world or in the world. Christ has conquered the world. So we don't need to be afraid of the world or in the world. I want to unpack this simply by looking at three things. I want to look at what is the world? We're going to answer three questions. What is the world? Two, how has Jesus conquered it? And three, how does his victory free us to live courageously in the world today? So we'll start with number one. What is the world? Okay, so what is the world? Simply put, the world in John's gospel is a place of unbelief and conflict. It's a place of unbelief and conflict. If the last year has taught us anything, it's that maybe John was onto something. Okay, I want to talk about three characteristics of the world. Three characteristics of the world. One, the world rejects Jesus' teaching. The world rejects Jesus' teaching. Uh, we've seen this throughout the Gospel of John. I want to just very quickly pick out one example of Jesus' teaching, kind of an important one, the Sermon on the Mount. How does Jesus call his disciples to live in the world? So the Sermon on the Mount, quickly, some of the themes in the Sermon on the Mount are uh, a call to nonviolence as disciples, a call to love and pray for those and for our enemies and do good to them, a call to reject religious hypocrisy, uh, not to pretend to be something that we're not, a call to be merciful and not harsh and judgmental. It's a call to not be controlling or manipulative of other people. It's a call to humility and to put aside pride and arrogance. Okay, this is the Sermon on the Mount. These are the things that Jesus talks about. Now think about our world. These are our Creator's wishes. Do we obey them? Far too often, it's a resounding no. Okay, take, think about what happened on January 6th of this year, just, just about a month ago, which saw an attempted violent overthrow of the government, many times in Jesus' name, or sometimes in Jesus' name. I'm going to read you a quote about what happened that day. It says this, Insurrectionists had surrounded the Capitol, beaten police, bat, battered down barricades indoors, smashed windows, and rampaged through the halls of the Capitol. Breaching the Senate chamber, in, the, in a video captured by the New Yorker, men ransacked the room, rifling through senators' binders and papers, searching for evidence of what they claimed was treason. Then, standing at the rostrum where the president of the Senate presides, the group paused to pray, and this is the important part, in Christ's holy name. 
Men raise their arms in the air as millions of evangelical and charismatic parishioners do every Sunday and thanked God for allowing them to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, not theirs. They thanked God for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Whether they realize it or not, those men rejected Jesus' teachings of nonviolence and respect for the authorities in Jesus' name. And to be very fair and very clear, this is not limited to any political ideology or group. This is the world. The world, which the Gospel of John talks about sitting in darkness. Even the people who Jesus came to, his own people, didn't recognize him, didn't understand his words, his ways, his teachings, and rejected him. So if we're honest with ourselves, we, we too sometimes reject Jesus' teachings. This is us. This is the world's problem. We are part of it. Sometimes the world is in here. So the world rejects Jesus' teachings, number one. So the second thing we're going to look at is how the world rejects Jesus' not just his teachings, but his followers. If you seek to live out the Sermon on the Mount and teach others to do the same, trouble is coming your way. I want to tell you quickly the story of a man. His name is Brother Yoon. Uh, there's a book about him called The Heavenly Man that some of you may have read. So it's a great read. I highly encourage it. But uh, to quickly, Brother Yoon was a man who was converted in China under communism. So his mom was had heard the good news about Jesus from missionaries who had been in China who then got booted. And she had, you know, without community, she had kind of backslidden her faith. One day she, she has an encounter with uh, with. Jesus's love. She's reminded Jesus still loves her. Jesus is still for her and she rededicates her life. Um, there's a miracle that happens in her family. The father, her husband, who had had cancer, Yoon's father, had cancer, was healed. And then the whole family, they start following Jesus together. And they're in communist China, so they don't have access to things like a Bible, things that we take for granted. We have, you know, seven or eight of them in our households, all different kind of versions and translations. He didn't have one. In order to get a Bible, he actually prayed and fasted for a hundred days, just ate rice for 100 days. And eventually Jesus sent someone to give him a Bible. Amazing, amazing stories. So this man uh, who just grew in love for Jesus and for the gospel, he ends up starting to preach in China, which was not legal to do. And he got, he saw a lot of people come to trust and believe in Jesus. And he was kind of escaping all the time, just, just outrunning the authorities uh, in these different villages where he's preaching the gospel. Pretty amazing story. Um, over the course of time, he was arrested multiple times. He was thrown in prison. It's really, it is a worth a read. Heavenly man. Eventually, he escaped China and he fled to Germany seeking asylum. And so he then becomes a missionary essentially to the West, to the Western world. And so he tells the story of one painful ministry trip to Canada. And what you need to know is that he's, a, he's an honest man. He shares his struggles and his sin openly in this book. He even talks about how God had to discipline him at times for his own waywardness and at a heart level from him. It's his own struggles with performance and finding his identity in ministry. He talks about all that stuff. Um, so honest man, not a perfect man, broken and flawed person, just like the rest of us, but I think ultimately a good man, someone who deeply loved Jesus and loved the brothers and sisters that Jesus put in his life to disciple and take care of. One day, uh, he was taking this ministry trip to Canada, 
and he was brutally attacked in the papers. Uh, he was called a liar. He was called a Judas, uh, all without evidence. And his family, which had been in hiding in a different country, uh, their location was revealed in this article. So not only was his character assassinated, but his family was endangered and all for no reason. So here are Yoon's words. Again, we're talking about the world rejects Jesus's followers. Yoon says, in the days after this attack, which appears to have been carefully timed to coincide with the start of our Canadian trip, I struggled with this new form of persecution. In China, I had been used to beatings, torture with electric batons, and all kinds of humiliation. I guess that deep in my heart I had presumed that now that I was in the West, my days of persecution had ended. I couldn't understand how someone who had never met me could write such a nasty article. I complained to my Christian friends, why don't these people call us and read the documents? This is all documented. I don't understand. Why don't they find out the truth for themselves? It's all right here for them to see. It's all out in the open. All the stuff that they had lied about. My translator told me, Brother Yoon, these people don't want to know the truth. That's why they're not calling you. That's why they're not wanting to meet you. That's why they're not trying to do biblical confrontation. They're backing away from that. In China, Christians are persecuted with beatings and imprisonments. In the West, Christians are persecuted by the words of other Christians. This new kind of spiritual persecution was no easier than the physical persecution in China, just different. I cried out in prayer, asking the Lord for his strength. I forgave the people behind this attack from the bottom of my heart, and we continued our trip. And so it will be for any of you who seek to follow the way of Jesus in this world and disciple others to do the same thing. Uh, many of us in our community know that sometimes the deepest wounds and the harshest persecution comes in the forms of attack, not from those outside the church, but from those within it. And the world rejects Jesus' followers, sometimes even in the name of Jesus, though many times it's in the name of a whole slew of other things. Tom preached about this and this message, Jesus is the hated one, so I'm not going to get into a, a whole lot more detail, but the world rejects Jesus' followers. Third thing, the world rejects Jesus' sacrifice. The world rejects Jesus' Sacrifice. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Uh, this is out of a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderselt. Some of you have read it. Uh, another great book recommendation uh, on how to get the gospel deep within your soul so you can, have good, you can be a person of good news and we can be communities of good news. So I'll just, I'll just read. And this is a quote. I can't stand my job. I've been working there for too long to be treated like this, she said. This is a person in a gospel community. We had just started eating dinner at our weekly family meals when one of our members started unloading her frustrations about work. I should have received a raise a long time ago, and I am still in the same position that I started, started in two years ago. She see what I'm going to say. My boss keeps telling me I will eventually get a promotion, but it seems as if I keep getting overlooked. I'm really tired of this. I'm ready to quit. Maybe some of you have been there or heard something like this in a gospel community setting. Uh, she continued sharing her frustrations about the working conditions and the poor benefits and how her co-workers, they don't help the situation because most of them had bad attitudes and poor work ethics. This kind of conversation is it's fairly normal in the life of a small group or uh, of the church and for the life of really any community anywhere, for that matter. Then we struggle with work and, and we, we want a place to vent. So likewise, we experience pain and frustration in our relationships, you know? Sometimes it's roommates that get on our nerves. Sometimes it's finances that aren't abundant or predictable. Sometimes, you know, parents wound us or let us down. So do children. We have plenty to talk about when we gather as communities and often much to complain about. 
At times like these, we need to remind ourselves and, and one another that Jesus is better. This is, I'm still quoting, Jesus is the better boss. So typically in a gathering like this, this is Jeff Vanderstel, he says, my initial response to our sister's complaint, typically the initial response to a sister's complaints like this one is additional complaining. I know what you mean. My job stinks as well. You deserve better. Your boss doesn't know what he has in you. Maybe one day he'll wake up and realize what an incredible person you are. Yeah, well, it might be too late when he does that because if I were you, I'd quit. Someone else might say. And Vanderstel goes on to say, yeah, a gospel community can do better than that. A community committed to growing in gospel fluency together doesn't respond like everyone else. We have good news to bring to bear on the difficulties of life. Sure, it's good to enter into someone's pain and struggle with empathy. That's good and necessary. With that, though, we also have good news to give. And, and he goes on to say, I regularly encourage our groups to ask these questions. One, how does the gospel bring good news into this situation? Two, what about the gospel do we need to hear right now? Three, what about the gospel have we forgotten or failed to believe? And four, how is Jesus better than what we have or what we want? You're forgetting the gospel. Another one of our group members chimed in. You're forgetting what is true for you. This is in response to this woman. You're forgetting what is true for you because of Jesus. And Jeff Vanderstel says, I was so encouraged to hear this. I think we're starting to grow in gospel fluency. He said, she continued, I know you might believe you deserve better pay. You're a good worker at your job, but I want to remind you that we all deserve death apart from Jesus' death on our behalf. We deserve death. So I, I talked about how the world rejects Jesus' sacrifice. And if we're honest, the reason I'm reading this in, in the context is the church, because we, we reject Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf too. We just don't know that we're doing it. We're not doing it in, in explicit ways, maybe like those outside the church might be prone to do at times. It's more implicitly through complaining. When she said this, this is not Vanderstelt again, I remember times when my children, so this is, he has, different, he has different age children, while riding in our minivan in climate-controlled comfort while sitting in reclining leather captain's seats and watching a DVD on the drop-down video screen would give in to complaints. I don't like this movie. She's too close to me. I'm too hot. I'm too cold. Roll up the window. At these times, I would often stop the minivan and ask them a question. What do you all deserve? Death. They would respond in unison. That's right. I would say, because of our sin, we deserve death. But because of Jesus' death, we get to live, not just today, but forever. You're alive. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for your life. You guys thankful? Yes, they would usually reply, still mumbling less desirable complaints, discernible complaints under their breath. You might think I'm a bit extreme, maybe. But it's true. We don't deserve what we have. We are, we, we are so blessed. And it's amazing how easy it is to complain when we forget what we deserve and we forget what Jesus has done. It's much easier to give thanks when we remember what, we're rece what we've received in comparison to what we deserve. I found that the gospel thankfulness is a great cure for complaining. The woman in our group continued, the women in our group continued, you deserve death and hell, but God has given you eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're getting far better than you deserve. And don't forget the promotion you've already received, someone else chimed in. You were imprisoned and enslaved under the rule of the devil, and Jesus not only redeemed and delivered you out of slavery to sin, but through him you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Talk about a promotion. That's not all. 
Another member spoke up. Your boss may not recognize the work you're doing. He might not build you up much with his words, but Jesus is presently speaking far better words about you before the Father. Sure, it's great to get your boss's approval, but you don't have to, you don't have, to have it because the God of the universe who created your boss is giving you his approval in Christ. And on and on it, it went. You have an incredible benefits package. So what's the point? That we can forget how good we have in Jesus. We don't believe in his sacrifice. And again, this isn't just outside the church. This is us in the church. But when we remember him, that changes everything and what he's done. So what's the world? The world is a place of conflict and unbelief. The world is a place of conflict and unbelief. And I chose three stories that are in and around the church just to keep us humble. Because the problem isn't just out in the world, it's, it's, it's a world in here too. So the second question I want to look at, how has Jesus conquered the world? John 3, 16 to 17, very famous verses. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus conquered the world by giving his life for the world. He's never given up on you or me. The conflict and unbelief that he encountered, even around his disciples, it never caused him to quit. He could have said, well, you know, I'm done. Let's see, where are we at? We're in the Milky Way galaxy. What's the next closest one? Andromeda? I'm going there. Like, no, he didn't do that. His love for the world runs deep. This is his world and he was willing to die for it. It made me think about the uh, last message I talked about, uh, Lord of the Rings, and this really made me think about Frodo Baggins and his love for the Shire. If you, ha- if you don't know the story, Frodo is, is tasked with taking the ring of power with his fellowship and destroying it, which ha- it has to go back into the fires that where it came from. And this ring of power, if it gets into the wrong hands, it could bring the world into ruin and destruction. And so he finds out that he's been picked for this task and he's understandably nervous. There's, there's uh, orcs and goblins and all these crazy creatures and he's just a little hobbit. It's a big, scary world out there and he's just, he's, he knows his own weakness and frailty. And his, it's his love for the Shire that leads him to go out on this journey. Let me read you a quote from Frodo. He said this, I should like to save the Shire if I could. Though there have been times when I thought that inhabitants too stupid or too dull for words and have felt that an earthquake or an invasion of dragons might be good for them. But I don't feel like that now. I feel that as long as the Shire lies behind, safe and comfortable, I shall find wandering more bearable. He had to leave the Shire to protect the Shire because the ring was attracting all sorts of evil to the Shire. So he had to leave it to protect the place and the people that he loved. And I can almost hear Jesus's words behind that saying like, as long as the world lies behind saved, I shall find the cross more bearable. Frodo's love for the Shire, even as he has acknowledged how hurtful some of its inhabitants can be, led him to go on the excruciating journey into the heart of darkness and evil deep behind enemy lines without the enemy realizing that salvation for the Shire and Middle Earth was near. Frodo the ring bearer, through much weakness and suffering, was able to see the ring go back into the fires from which it came 
and be destroyed. At that moment, the power of evil was broken. The kingdom of darkness fell. Middle earth and the Shire were saved. Much in the same way, Jesus, he didn't carry a ring, but he carried a cross. All the sin and the darkness of the world converged on that cross. Christ, he's our Passover lamb, our sacrifice who takes away the sins of the world. The penalty for our sins were paid on the cross. The power of sin was broken. And the kingdom of darkness has fallen. Jesus conquered the world by loving the world and giving his life to defeat the world's enemies, Satan, sin, and death. So number three, how does Jesus free us to be courageous in the world? Well, Jesus' death, it changes everything. Think about the text that we read today. Think about how Jesus addressed his scared disciples preparing to swim through the shark-infested waters of their world where Jesus, his teachings, his followers, and his sacrifice were all rejected. In their struggles, this is my reflection of the text that we read today. In their struggles, what the disciples needed to hear most is that they are accepted by the Father despite their failures. That they have peace with God, even as he knew that they would seriously fall off along the way. They need to know that the Father loves them and hears their prayers when they pray in line in Jesus' name, which is in line with his purposes for the world in Christ. And he backs those prayers with power. And they can have courage in this world. And it's not based on, on the quality of their inner life. It's not based on what is in them, which if, as we keep reading John, they're going to find out that what's, what's in them under testing were serious failures of character and courage and unbelief. So this courage is not based on them. It's based on him, his triumph, his victory over spiritual evil and over all the darkness in our world. Jesus conquers. And his victory means that disciples don't need to be overcome by shame and guilt over their failures. It means that Jesus is still committed to his disciples and he still loves them. And the same is true of the Father who has the same heart towards struggling disciples who are in a fog, experiencing confusion and afraid. I love this quote. In the life of any believer, doubt turns to faith because the Father loves us. How good is that? The kindness of God, of course, led these disciples to repent and return to their master after they had abandoned him. Jesus freed them to be courageous. He reminded them of how loved they are despite their failures. And because of that, that he conquered darkness, they don't need to be afraid. So let's look very quickly at how Jesus frees us to be courageous in this world. This is my third, the third part to this. Let's take a quick look. So I want to go back to the beginning. I talked about all these different fears. One is fear of censorship. This one seems to be pretty big right now. And it seems to be like fairly big in the minds of Christians here in America. I want to quickly tell you the story of Brother Andrew. I talked about Brother Yoon. Here's another brother, Brother Andrew. And Brother Andrew was a, a very courageous uh, believer. He wanted to resource and encourage churches who were behind the Iron Curtain, who were separated, isolated from the world in, in these communist countries that had a, they suppressed ideas and wouldn't allow them to potentially have a Bible, read a Bible, teach the Bible, and so on. So there was censorship happening. This is the story of Brother Andrew, one of his, his many stories. He found himself one day ahead of the Yugoslavian border. For the first time in my life, this is him, 
I was about to enter a communist country on my own instead of in a group invited and sponsored by the government. I stopped my little Volkswagen bus on the outskirts of the tiny Austrian village and took stock. The Yugoslav government in 1957 permitted visitors to bring in only articles for their own personal use. Anything new or anything in quantity was suspect because of the black market thriving all over the country. Printed material especially was liable to be confiscated at the border, no matter how small the quantity, because, coming from, because it was coming from out of the country. And it was regarded as foreign propaganda. In other words, the Bible would be regarded as foreign propaganda. And here is brother Andrew, and he has a car and luggage that's literally bulging with tracks, with Bibles, and with portions of Bibles. How was I going to get past the border guard? He asked himself. And so for the first of many times, I prayed the prayer of God's smuggler. Brother Andrew has a book. It's called God's Smuggler. Another Another good one. Heavenly Man, God's Smuggler. Good books to get yourself immersed in the topic of fear and how God ministers and meets his people in fear. So he prayed this prayer, Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture that I want to take to your children across the border. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray that you make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see these things you don't want them to see. So armed with this prayer, I started the motor and drove up to the border. The two guards appeared, both startled and pleased to see me. I wondered how much business came their way. For the way they stared at my passport, I might have been the first Dutch one they had ever seen. Brother Andy was Dutch. There were just a few formalities to attend to, they assured me in German, and I could be on my way. Once one of the guards began poking around in my camping gear, in the corners and folds of my sleeping bag and tents were boxes of tracks, essentially these papers and pamphlets telling people about the gospel, which would have been seen as propaganda, would have been confiscated, and you could have gone into a lot of trouble. Lord, make the... Make those seeing eyes blind. They asked him, do you have anything to declare? Well, I have my money and a wristwatch and a camera. And the other guard was looking inside the van. He asked me to take out the suitcase. Again, again, brimming (laughs) with propaganda, propaganda, quote unquote. I knew that there were tracks scattered throughout my suitcase. Of course, sir, I said. I pulled the front seat forward and dragged the suitcase out. I placed it on the ground and opened the lid. The guard lifted the, the shirts that lay on top. Beneath them, and now in plain sight, were piles of tracks in two different Yugoslavian languages, Croatian and Slovenian. Slovenian? I'm not really sure. Slovenian. How was God going to handle this situation? Hmm. It seems dry this, for this time of year. I turned, I said to the other guard, without looking at the fellow who was inspecting my suitcase, a little small chat, uh, I fell into a conversation about the weather. The weather! I told him about my own homeland and how it was always wet. Uh, it was always wet there. Finally, when I could stand the suspense no longer, I looked behind me to see what was happening with my suitcase. The first guard wasn't even glancing at the suitcase. He was just listening to our conversation. When I turned around, he caught himself and looked up. Well, then, do you have anything else to declare? Um, only small things, I said. The tracks were small, after all. We won't bother with them, said the guard. He nodded to me that I could close the suitcase and, with a little salute, handed me back my passport. Brother Andrew and his associates took Bibles across borders into communist countries time and again and were able to go there and preach and strengthen and equip churches. And God protected them all the time. And he blessed their ministry of resourcing and encouraging these churches and these disciples who were suffering under censorship and oppression under communism. 
For those of us fearful of government censorship, it didn't stop Jesus in the early church. It didn't stop the early disciples. It didn't stop anything that was going on in terms of the, the iron curtain that was up in communism. It, Jesus, he, it won't stop here either. If there's ever like real crazy censorship. No matter who's in power, Jesus has conquered the world. This is his world. He loves it. He is going to save the world. He has conquered it. He will save it. Second, real quick, persecution. Another thing that's a fear at this point in time that Christians are feeling, feeling the fear of persecution in their own country, potentially, here in America. I shared the story of Brother Yoon earlier, of him being persecuted through slander, false things being said about him to ruin his reputation, his credibility. Did you notice what he said, how he responded to what happened? He said this, this new kind of spiritual persecution was no easier than physical persecution in China, just different. I cried out in prayer, asking the Lord for his strength. I forgave the people behind this attack from the bottom of my heart, and we continued our trip. Brother Yun was able to forgive his persecutors. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven Yun. Jesus has treated Yun better than he deserved. Jesus, Jesus was insulted, abandoned, mocked, beaten, murdered, and he responded to all that evil with good. He loved the world, full of conflict and unbelief, and he gave himself for it. So now we can do the same and treat people better than they deserve because that's how Jesus has treated us. We can bless and not curse. We can make peace wherever it's possible. We, cannot, we don't have to assume the worst about people. We can gently confront and be confronted for Christ's sake, for love's sake and Christ's sake. We don't have to back down from anything. Man, let me finish this by saying Jesus' words to his disciples then, in light of their fears, in light of the shark-infested waters they were swimming in, was, be courageous. I have conquered the world. And I think it's the same word he has for us today in light of the shark-infested waters that we're swimming through as disciples. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Let me ask you a question. What situation are you facing today that requires courage? Is there a fractured relationship in your life that requires mending? Maybe with a spouse or a child or a parent or a neighbor, or a coworker, a family member, or any other relationship that needs mending. You can have courage to face that. Jesus has conquered the world. He's conquered sin and death and Satan. Are you facing confronting work? Maybe, maybe you're facing the need to confront work demands that are out of line. Maybe you have a situation that calls you to cross ethical boundaries or it's jeopardizing you or your family's well-being the number of hours that you're working. You have courage. Maybe you're seriously praying through like a career change that would enable you to be more engaged with and present with your family. Is there an area of your life that, that needs your attention? Maybe you're noticing in yourself, especially in the season, all sorts of stuff is coming out. It's kind of bringing out the worst in many of us. I know I've experienced it and felt it. I talked about it, some of these messages, like, uh, what is it for you? Is there stuff coming out that needs attention? Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's cynicism. Maybe it's an inability to receive feedback, an inability to like self-assess what's actually going on in my heart. What is it that I want? Why am I responding this way to this situation? Be courageous. Jesus has overcome the world. He can help you honestly deal with your issues too. And you don't need to do this alone. That's what Christian community is for. If you are frightened, you do not have to get out of the water. In today's story, Jesus does something 
amazing. He gives us a window through the fog, through the confusion, through the fear. And I want to quickly read something to you. This is from, uh, from Mike, from our church. Uh, after last week's message, he told me and he told our gospel community, actually, about uh, swimming around Catalina or being around Catalina, uh, which I've never actually been there before. But he told this story, which I thought was so, so helpful. He said this. He said, I was reminded of times over at the island when I was fishing, fishing. We would often fish near an area called Two Harbors. In this spot, you can see from the front side of the island to the back and beyond to the Pacific Ocean. It's the thinnest part of the island. But often, when we would get to the island in the morning, all you could see is a huge fog bank. Okay, fog. If you remember the story from earlier, from last week. It made me think of one time in particular when we were right at Two Harbors. And as we approached the fog, it opened up to where there was a huge tunnel in the fog, like an archway, and you could see to the other side of the island. The fog was still all around, and visibility was poor, but through the arch tunnel, you could clearly see the Pacific Ocean on the other side of the island. It was beautiful. It made me think of how often in the midst of our fog, God opens tunnels where the fog is still there, yet he gives us a glimpse of what lies lies beyond. He's given a clearing to see the beauty amidst the struggle. He's graced us with his presence to let us know that he cares for us and we're not alone. He reminds us that there's joy on the other side of our suffering. To keep on going, that there once again will be joy. Jesus has secured it for us. It's kind of like uh, in today's text, Jesus is opening a window through the fog and the confusion and the fear. And he's saying, don't forget, on the other side of this, he's like opening a window. Here I am, your conquering king. Victory is mine. And therefore, it is yours. I mean, I know I'm going long and I apologize. This is longer than I intended it to be. But man, this is important in light of all the fear that we have and we're experiencing as a people in this time. We're never going to be a people of peace, of joy, of courage if you believe that we're part of a broken, failing mission and you're on your own. You will, however, grow into a courageous and joyful person as you become convinced that Jesus is our conquering king and he is leading us into victory, even if we can't always see it. He's given us a window to see it right now. He's reminded of of his work. Knowing Jesus has conquered the world will change how you view the difficult situations you're facing at work, in your, the tension in your family, the challenges that we face as a church community, or even any area of your life that you're struggling with, afraid, or even giving up hope that it will ever get better. He has conquered. And I want to leave you just with this one last thing. I was praying last night with my wife, Heather, and she got this picture. She was reminded of something that happened once. Heather and I, when we were uh, dating, we, I went with her and her folks. We camped uh, outside of Yosemite, and we went in and we did uh, Half Dome. And if you've never done it before, never heard of it, it's a pretty amazing, it's like, a, I think, thir- I forget how many miles. It's a long, long hike to then get to this huge rock that you kind of, it almost feels like you're walking like this up the side of it. Pretty, pretty terrifying, if I'm honest. And I, I hiked all the way up to Subdome. And then when I saw Half Dome, I was so tired. I, I was having difficulty breathing. And I was honestly just afraid. I was panicky. I was worried and I didn't want to do it. So I saw Heather, my then uh, soon to be fiance and, uh, and now wife, climb up. And I was nervous. I was scared. 
This came up last night. And I was like, why did this come up last night as we were praying? And here's what I think the point was. I think God was reminding me, you know what happens when you let fear take over? You miss out on an adventure. And I think God is saying, I'm inviting you into an adventure. Each and every one of you, us together, be courageous. I've conquered the world. So friends, we're going to step into a time of worship where we get to raise our voices to King Jesus, the King who has conquered sin and death and has conquered the world, the one who makes us courageous people, the one who makes it so that we never have to be afraid again, or we never have to be dominated by it, we never have to be controlled by fear, but we can live as people of peace, people of joy, people of courage in this world, and that will actually draw people to Him. So let's worship Him, let's praise Him wherever you're at, wherever you're tuning in from, I wanna encourage you to with whole hearts, full hearts, to sing to the one who has conquered the world. Grace and peace to you, church. Love you. Can't wait to see you soon.